0: So check out Point Game with John Wall and C.J. Teledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Hello!
3: iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Oh, hi,
0: I'm Rachel Zoe and my podcast Climbing in Heels is back and better than ever. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. Climbing in Heels is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: Wake that
3: ass up in the morning. The Breakfast Club.
0: Morning, everybody. It's DJ NV Charlemagne the guy. We are the Breakfast Club. We got a special guest in the building. Yes, indeed. I know him as DJ Vlad, but everybody else knows him as Vlad TV. Vlad's here. What up, Vlad? What's
3: up, envy What's, What's up, up Charlemagne? It's been a minute. You know, we really can't call you DJ Vlad no more. Why do we nope. still call you? DJ Vlad? You just, haven't just, been a DJ, in but he started, know, off a DJ, started off as a that's, DJ. He started off as a DJ. a mixtape yeah, DJ. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. First of all, Vlad, I want to tell you uh congratulations because you uh, you are responsible for helping the family of Tupac Shakur. Get justice and closure because of uh, some of your interviews you did with Kefi D on Vlad TV. Yeah. I have already said it. I think you should win a Peabody. If you was any other journalist uh, outside of hip hop, I think you would get a, get get some type of an award for that.
4: Thank you, man. How do you feel? I mean, the, the purpose wasn't really for him to get locked up or anything else like that. Because as I've said before, when Las Vegas PD reached out to me, I didn't respond. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't cooperate. You know, my whole thing was this is a story I'd heard for. I mean, for a long time, for close to about 18 years or so. And by actually sitting down with Keefy and getting his whole story from beginning to end, at the end of the interview, I'm like, okay, I pretty much solved the case at this point. Mm-hmm. You know, shout out to Greg Kading, who actually got the, you know, the original Keefy D. confession. But in terms of the public, that was the first time Keefy actually told the entire story of how it happened, what led up to it, what happened that night, mm-hmm. and what happened afterwards. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, ultimately, I don't think anyone could really be surprised
0: at the outcome. I was gonna ask, you know, during the interview, because it's crazy when he when he was uh, when he was arrested, you, you go down this this rabbit hole of, of things that you know that you've investigated that you've done interviews with. I thought from maybe the interviews, it made it seem like he had a deal already on the table. Yeah. Uh, was any of that true? Like I thought that was the reason why he was able to talk about it.
4: Right. So he had a proffer agreement. So when, when Greg Kading met up with him, uh D was Who's Greg facing, Kading? Uh, Greg Kading was uh, was an LAPD uh, investigator yep. who was looking into the entire case. Uh, so he he had caught Keefe in a, this huge PCP ring and Keefe was facing life in prison. So what happened was there's something called a proffer agreement, AKA mm-hmm. queen for a day, mm-hmm. meaning that you could sit down with someone that could ask you a whole bunch of questions and you could admit to all the crimes you did that day and you can't be charged with any of those crimes. Mm-hmm. And in exchange, they dropped the whole PCP case against him. And he was able to walk free. But the thing about proffer agreements, from what I understand, is that it's called "Queen for a Day" because it's only valid that particular day? So if you choose to retell that story afterwards, you could potentially get charged for it. Mm-hmm. It's a little oh. bit of a gray area, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that his lawyer is probably going to be fighting in terms of that. But I think Kiefer was under the assumption that he said it once, he could say it as many times as he wants. And I don't think that's the case when it comes to proper agreements. When oh. you say when you say that uh, wow.
3: Vegas police wanted you to cooperate, what did that what did that mean?
4: I think they wanted the raw footage. I mean, I actually have the voicemails from them, like, oh, we've been trying to reach you and everything else like that. And I think they they thought that maybe there was a bunch of things in, because we did two interviews that they could use in the case that we didn't publicly release. But if you know Vlad TV, and both of you have been on Vlad Mm -hmm. TV, we use damn near every second (laughs) of the footage. So they're kind of barking up the wrong tree. But my whole thing was that if someone interviews on my platform, I'm not gonna turn around and then work with the police against them. Correct. Regardless of what it is that they said. It's just business-wise, you know, in terms of my values, it's not what I do. So I didn't choose to cooperate. By now, the
3: way, f- what, what, what could they ask you that they didn't hear themselves?
4: It's like, all, it's all like, it's out right there. It's right there. It's all out there. <laughs> and he's done multiple interviews. It's not yeah. just Vlad TV. He Art did, of Dialogue. Yeah, he did that. He did a, a few other ones. So it's kind of like... He wrote you know, a book. He wrote a book. Well, and and yeah. that's the whole thing. People thought that I got this whole confession out of the blue, like, before we did the interview, we got a copy of the book. We read through the entire book Mm -hmm. and that interview was, the blueprint of that interview was that book. So there were certain parts where I asked him a question. He didn't really want to answer it. And Mm -hmm. my thing was like, well, the book says X, Y, and Z. Mm -hmm. And then, so he had to kind of address that. But if you write a book about a crime, I have no problems interviewing you about the book that you wrote.
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Well, I had a question, you know, you did this Keefy D interview how long ago? Four years ago. Four years ago. Yep. Isn't it kind of strange that he's arrested recently opposed to cause I mean the book was out before you did the interview, so it yep. almost seemed like it nobody cared until actually you did the interview and it started getting a little press.
4: Man, the, the wheels of justice turn slowly. You know, it takes a while to line everything up. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I guess. I mean, I'm not involved in the case and it's really up to Las Vegas, PD, and Keefe at the end of the day. But it takes a while to line something up, especially as epic and huge as this and it happened what 26 years ago yeah, back in 1996 like a lot has to be done in order to get a conviction and it's not easy because the last thing that they want to do is go and spend you know whatever potentially millions of dollars on a case for it to be found not guilty or just dismissed. Right
3: and it's not even just the Keefy D interview that I think you know I would say constitutes you winning something like a Peabody. It's all the interviews you did surrounding it. It's the yeah. Greg Kading. Who else? Who, like if, this was the, if this was the Vlad cinematic universe, yeah. what would be all the interviews you got to watch to get the full story?
4: I mean, Greg, Greg Kading, who's mm-hmm. the lead investigator. Uh, Chris Carroll, who was the first responder that showed up mm-hmm. you know, at the scene after uh, Pac got shot and, and Suge got grazed. Uh, I mean, who's mm-hmm. in the car behind uh, Tupac when he got
0: killed. That was the young ladies that that followed him. No, 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 he was no, one no. of the outlaws. The, one yeah, of the outlaws, yeah. yeah.
4: Edie's part of the outlaws.
0: I, I didn't know if he was it, in that car with the with the young ladies. No, well,
4: there were no young ladies in the car. It was like the cars were driving around, and a bunch of girls were like, "Tupac, Tupac," and then Pac like popped out the window and was like, "Yo, what up?" You know. So mm-hmm. the ladies, you know, and, and I think like, I think like Edie told me that he thought that maybe it was a setup by those girls, but but it wasn't. I mm-hmm. guess the girls even got interviewed at one point. They were mm-hmm. like, "No, we just saw Tupac. We were mm-hmm. calling out to him," and that's. By them calling out Tupac, that's how Keefe and them saw that, oh, Tupac is right here, and they'd been looking for him.
3: Mm-hmm. So, was, so watch the, you said watch the Keefe,
4: Greg the Edie, cap- e- e- I mean, Chris mm-hmm. Carroll. Uh-huh. Yeah, just a lot of pieces gotcha. put, put together.
0: Now, did he ever say, was, was Pac the intended target, or was it Suge the intended target? Because I did see that they thought Pac was grabbing a, a gun, allegedly, and they were returning fire, or something like that.
4: Yeah, he didn't really... When I pressed him on that, he didn't really, uh, you know, admit to that, but from everything I heard, like, I remember I talked to um, the co-writer of that book Mm -hmm. and he told me that when he first met up with Keefe, he was like, look, man, I'm I'm very pro-black. I'm very positive. How do you feel about, you know, your role in, you know, killing one of you know one of our great hip hop icons hip hop icons and, and Keefe's response was they had no business putting their hands on my on my nephew like that. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And and the thing is, is like everyone is so shocked because it's Tupac. But right now, somewhere in America, some some you know gang affiliate, gang member just got beat up and is out there grabbing their gun right now to go retaliate. Mm-hmm. Of course. This is standard Procedure when it comes to this type of world, mm-hmm. so so everyone's shocked because it's Tupac and we love Tupac, but this is how things happen in this type of lifestyle. Yeah. Unfortunately, unfortunately, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah.
3: How was a uh, Pac's family respond to you?
4: um I haven't spoken directly to them, mm-hmm. but a-, a friend of mine who knows one of Pac's uh, sisters on his father's, his biological father's side, said, you know, the family says thank you so much for you know bringing some level of closure. But you know, you also got to understand that he's just got arrested.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: He didn't get convicted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've gotten arrested. Like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. It doesn't mean that I went to prison. Like, mm-hmm. anyone can get arrested. So it's just the beginning of the process.
0: Have you gotten any threats from from this ever no. since? No, no not no. at all. Not at all.
3: You know, it's interesting when you say uh, your, your intention wasn't to solve the case. So I guess people would say, what what is the point of doing all of these inter- interviews? What is What is Vlad TV's intention when he puts together all of these different interviews?
4: Well, I mean, when I say solve the case, the, the, my intention wasn't for him to be convicted, gotcha, uh, to gotcha. put him in jail. Like, I, I'm I'm just a huge Tupac fan. Mm-hmm. Like, if you, you know, I, I loved Tupac. All Eyes on Me is one of my favorite all-time albums. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, what he, he's just such a charismatic individual. I mean, you could, mm-hmm. it'd be hard to argue that Tupac is not the greatest rapper of all time. You know, like, shout out to, to Biggie, shout out to Nipsey. But if you look at worldwide, you see more Tupac murals around the world than any other rapper. And that's because I think that outside of the, the rapping and the good songs, there's a social commentary involved in what he mm-hmm. did. There was the struggle mm-hmm. that, that everyone in every country could um, re- really relate to. So, so my whole thing was like, oh, this is my favorite rapper. And here's a story that's unsolved. But like everyone in L.A. knew, knew this story. Mm-hmm. It was like the worst kept secret in L.A. So let's try to put it out there and bring it out to the public because there's so many conspiracy theories around it. Mm-hmm. Suge had him killed. The government had it killed. had him killed. He's in Cuba somewhere, mm-hmm. like, like, you know, I mean, he's still alive. He's, you know, he faked his own death. Mm-hmm. It's like a lot of it was so ridiculous that I wanted to put a piece together that that had all the different angles of the same story, and they're all matching up. Mm-hmm. Chris Carroll's story matches up. You know, Edie I mean's story matches up. You know, Greg cading's uh, story matches up. And then Keefe's story is the is the last puzzle piece in that.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, was you were supposed to interview Keefe D again before he was radio? What was that going to be about, or what what conversation was that going to be, or did he reach out to you, or?
4: Yeah, yeah, he reached out to me. We had a conversation. I mean, he had already gotten arrested when well, he already got his house got raided, or his wife's house got raided. And
0: did they find a gun in there that they they believe? They,
4: they found bullets, which had no. I mean, who's going to keep bullets from a twenty seven year old murder? Like it's crazy. But yeah, his house got raided, and I'm like, all right, well, I'm just going to leave it alone. But then he reached out to me had a conversation with me, and then, you know, his co-writer was the one that who I kind of communicate with a lot when, when it comes to this type of thing. Um, they're like, he wants to do another interview. And it's like, all right, you know, we gave him a deposit, you know, on the interview, um, which you, he hadn't he, asked for before.
0: You paid for interview?
4: Yeah, I paid for uh, for both of his interviews. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah. Vlad pays for a lot of interviews. People don't know that. It's like, like
4: he does. Yeah, yeah. yeah. well, yeah. for certain interviews. and yeah. Other ones I don't, I don't pay for. Like your Literally. regulars? My regular guests all get paid. Yeah. Absolutely, mm-hmm. which, which makes sense. Boosie and... T.K. Kirkland. All my regular guests get paid. If All you right. see him on Vlad TV over and over again, you know, we make money, so we, we choose to compensate our guests That's dope. Mm-hmm. as well. So, I mean, he reached out. We gave him, like, a small deposit. was It wasn't really a lot of money. And I, I figured that I'm probably not going to see this again mm-hmm. because, you know, his house got raided. And I, I was hearing that there was a grand jury underway and there was a possible indictment coming. And, and from what I understand, he hit up a few other outlets and got deposits from all of them. So I think he was just trying to gather up money because he knew that he was about to to go away. So it is what it is. It, to me, it's not a big deal, and it was to be expected.
3: Any any truth to the rumor that he had like cancer or something? That's why he was like well, originally a four years ago.
4: Four years ago, cause I remember if you watched the B E T BET uh, interview that he did, uh, he said that he has cancer. Mm-hmm. So I, I, but from what I understand, he beat it or is in remission or something like that. So I think there was a certain degree of I have cancer and I don't give a F about mm-hmm. it and i think there's also a certain degree of when the tapes got released like you know for example i talked to like bg knockout who was friends with orlando like i was told that his family was like really upset over these confession tapes you know him saying that you know that orlando did and everything else like that so there was a the whole snitch tag that people were putting on him and i think to a certain degree he wanted to clear his name and get his side of the story out there got you. Uh, i mean me personally when it comes to murder, it's it's no statute of limitations. I would have just kept my mouth shut. But I mean, like I said, they they wanted to do it. So we did the interview.
3: Now you know this situation doesn't help uh the 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 the, the rumors or the stigma of the Vlad curse. Vlad is the know? feds. <laughs> Vlad is the police. Vlad curse, Vlad is the feds. People yeah. say a lot of folks get jammed up after the interview with you. Mm-hmm. Do you ever feel bad or regret uh, you know, doing those interviews after folks get caught?
4: Well, this is the first interview that I'm aware of that any level of footage that we recorded is actually going to be used in a criminal case. Mm-hmm. Like every other interview we've ever done, people have talked about things they did in the past and if they chose, they chose to do a crime after the interview, it has nothing to do with anything in the interview. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? So it's kind of like, the stigma's the stigma, man. Like like people are gonna say Vlad the police, Vlad is the feds, I've heard it literally for 15 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, but ultimately, it's, it's just not true. But in this case, I mean, it is true to a certain degree. And, you know, if people are mad at me for helping to solve the murder of the greatest rapper of all time, I'm I'm okay with that. You've been you know mixing I mean? it up uh, a lot this year, Vlad. Like, uh, it, it feels like it's this year. Like
3: Now, I was wondering, is that you really tweeting? Yeah, that's me.
4: <laughs> <laughs> How do you pick and choose what you want to talk about or who you want to say something to? I mean, things I feel strongly about. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, the fact that some of these tweets have gotten three, four, five, seven million impressions is a little bit surprising. Mm-hmm. It's not like I have a huge Twitter account. I have like maybe 200,000 followers, but clearly some things I said have hit a nerve with people.
3: I wonder if Vlad, the personality, helps Vlad TV grow even more. Do you think like you being more active, doing more interviews, being more active on social media,
4: do you think that helps the, the, the channel grow? I mean, probably.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Probably. I mean, listen, you could do all the... the you know, the the tricks that you want, but ultimately it comes down to strong content. Mm -hmm. When we have strong content, the channel grows and things do well. Yes, you could try to go viral and everything else like that, but people don't realize that a lot of times going viral doesn't necessarily help your business. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like like we've had so many- Please have this conversation, Vlad. We've had so many interviews, like, you know, for example, when Gloria Velez interviewed Neo and he talked about the whole trans kids thing mm-hmm. about how he doesn't support like a, a kid that's like 12 years old becoming mm-hmm. trans. Like, you know, the parents need to step in. That went super viral and it was on TMZ and it was everything else like that. But a lot of times those videos, they go viral that are not on your own platform. So mm-hmm. there'll be like a TikTok that has like 5 million views mm-hmm. and a Twitter video that has 2 million right. views. But the video on YouTube has like 50,000 views. <laughs> you know, and it just gets stuck there, you know. Overall, that interview lost money. So so people have to understand going viral and being financially successful aren't always hand in hand.
3: Oh yeah, I, I always tell folks that uh, I, I put value over viral. I yeah. think this generation puts viral over, over actual value. value. Yeah. Like there's platforms that have actual value, consistent value, as opposed yeah. to these platforms who you might see every now and then go viral, but it ain't translating into no dollars. Mm-hmm.
4: We run a business, man, we have 20 employees, like my focus is on the business not going viral. Being viral is cool and it's nice to have a look here and there and so mm-hmm. forth, but it's like, we've been doing it for 15 years, and it's really about the business and the catalog and the important interviews that we put out
0: there. Mm-hmm. Now also, recently you did an open letter to, uh, I always call it an open letter. open letter. It kind of like an open letter, it it a like an open letter. A his thoughts. <laughs> an open tweet Yeah. to Drake and Khaled. Correct. Now, why, why did you feel like you wanted to write a tweet to them?
4: Well, you sort of see what's been happening, right? When you look at the the, the Gaza-Israel situation, it's, it's horrific. Mm-hmm. And, and I put out a statement about that myself, where I said that I feel sorry for all the citizens, you know, from Israel and Palestine that are caught up in what their leaders are choosing to do. That's right. You know, what I'm saying I don't agree with what Netanyahu has done in Gaza, in terms of blockading the country and creating essentially an open air prison. And I definitely don't support what Hamas did in terms of killing hundreds of people, beheading babies and everything else like that. It's a serious topic. And when I sat back and looked at it, it's like, okay, Drake is the most famous Jewish person on earth, essentially, right? Who Mm -hmm. else could, could do a tour and fill out coliseums worldwide who's Jewish besides Drake, right? Khaled is the most famous Palestinian in the world, but neither one of them has said anything about this at all Mm -hmm. and people are saying well well, they're not politicians whatever they influence hundreds of millions of people which ultimately has an influence on the world and you're not choosing to, to like to say anything and drake who has a jewish mother you know which by jewish law makes him jewish but not only that his parents got divorced when he was five years old and he grew up with his jewish mother and her jewish relatives in Forest Hills, which is a Jewish community in Toronto, he had a bar mitzvah. And then when this happens, he doesn't say anything because I think that he doesn't want to potentially affect his record sales. But why does he have to say anything? Him or like why? Why does why does him or Khaled have to say anything publicly? They don't have to say anything. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying as as representatives of these communities, their voices are powerful and they should say something. Just like they, I have they, said, said something. What
3: are they supposed to say though? Like, it, it, but you're educated on the topic clearly.
4: And, and they don't have people around them to educate them. They have access to the highest level of, of everybody. You know what I mean? In terms of professors, experts, and so forth.
3: But even being educated on something don't mean you have an understanding of it to be able to express it. And you don't want somebody to craft something for you and just post it on your social media. And I've been watching celebrities all week, you know, say some of the stupidest shit. Like, you know, I saw Justin Bieber post, pray for Israel, but he put up a picture of Palestine and had to pray for Israel over the picture of Palestine. So it's kind of like one of those things, if you really don't know what you're talking about, you probably should just sit it out.
4: But you probably should learn about it because I mean, this is... Before Drake was a rapper, he was Jewish. Before before Khaled was a super producer, he was Palestinian. Like this runs deep. You know, I'm saying that this is the essence of who they are, of their families and their communities. Like Drake was raised in a Jewish community. I'm sure his relatives feel a certain type of way about this. And look, like Drake has taken all types of shots at Kanye. But when Kanye went on his Hitler rants, Drake didn't say anything specifically about that. But he takes shots at him. Mm-hmm. I guess saying,
0: that. like, if something happened with with George Floyd or something happened in our community, and you say absolutely, positively nothing as a black person,
3: right? I don't think you have to, though. I think if that's your thing. Sure,
4: but I don't think you're obligated to you're not, do that. You're not obligated, but yeah. I feel like you should say something in your position. And my example was Tupac. When something happens that's close to his community, Pac was was going to say Tupac something. Pac was a
3: one on one, though, Vlad. Well,
4: like Tupac... yeah, but the caliber of, you know, like where Drake is, where Tupac was, is yeah, something I'm, I'm talking about
3: one on one as far as the type of people they were. Like Tupac was socially conscious, you know, like Tupac's mother was a radical, a Black Panther. I got like, it. That's not, I, don't, that's I got not, it. That's not who those See, people I'm, are. I'm not, I'm,
0: I am i don't really know what's going on over there to to speak on, but I, I, I get what you're saying, right? Yeah. Because if you look at what happened in our community during the time with George Floyd and people were protesting, I think everybody that had a little bit of influence said something, whether it was LeBron James, whether it's a comedian, whether it's a celebrity,
3: whether it's an actor.
0: All or those
4: people always do, though. LeBron, Le- LeBron has just chimed in. But LeBron's
0: you know
3: always chiming in on social issues. That's what he's chosen. But then again, to do.
0: Michael Jordan has, right? And people were
4: saying Michael Jordan didn't. So I Michael guess it's Jordan kind of never same. has. So I guess it's the same That's That's the thing. Criticism. And, and, and yep. there's a criticism with him mm-hmm. about that. Like, I've chimed in. I've chimed in about all these issues. I always do. I chimed in about George Floyd. Mm-hmm. I mean, we, we donated to NAACP during the whole George Floyd uh, you know, riots and everything else like that. Like, mm-hmm. I stand behind, like, I'm not just sitting there pointing fingers. Like, I've put my neck on the line with saying things about it that other people didn't like. But ultimately I feel like when you're at a certain level, like you have a responsibility because you have so many people, like you could shift global thought with, with just a, a simple mm-hmm. statement. But well, and- Ja Rule doesn't agree shift globe i don't know if you can they shift. interviewed ja rule about my statement i saw that but, but see that, when, <laughs> I, when, I saw, when i
3: saw your statement i thought of ja rule i was like Everyone Everyone thought ja is Drake yeah. and Khaled? i don't want to hear from drake and Khaled at a time like this you know <laughs> what i mean but so because to me i'm like what if drake and Khaled are doing things behind the scenes i think that's more powerful than a tweet or an instagram post like you're not going to change people's minds on a 75 year old situation how long has this been going on? for
4: how long thousands of years Thousands? Yes. Oh shoot! I know it's thousands. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So, so, most, so, no, I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm, I, I thought mean, it was like seventy-five. I had, well, who, I mean, I Israel's know. been around for seventy-five, but I'm, I'm saying, but but, there, but there's been a conflict that's been going on forever. I mean, you, you could trace it back to biblical times, is what I'm saying. It's a, it's a very complicated, messed-up situation, and I honestly, my heart goes out to both parties.
3: And that's exactly that. when I'm watching. When I'm at home watching CNN and MSNBC, I don't know where people are from. Mm-hmm. All I see is. People
4: were hurt, people Innocent dead. People. I don't know if Civilians, they're Palestinian, babies. Israel. I'm just yep. like, yeah. this is terrible. Twenty like, like, some Americans got killed damn. in the process. I mean, they, they went to a festival and just opened fire. I knew that, and killed, yeah. killing yeah. hundreds, and then, and then you know, they went and started cutting off babies' heads. Like, it's it's horrific. No, nah, it's, it, it's 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 horrific. You know, what I'm saying, but but you know, but I'm not a fan of, you know. I mean, I think a lot of people feel like if you say anything bad about the Israeli government, you're anti-Semitic. And I think that that's stupid. That's like saying you have to support Trump or else you're anti-American. Mm-hmm. No, you could not like Trump and be pro-American. Mm-hmm. You could not like Netanyahu and be pro-Jewish. you know, Jewish. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like like the, the people are caught up in this bullshit. You know what I mean? I mean, do you think that the people in Gaza are happy that their buildings are being destroyed because Hamas chose to do this, you know, re- crazy you know attack mm-hmm. now people are homeless people are you know have have no electricity i heard the main power plant just got taken out you know they're just trying to live their lives and now they're caught up in a situation that other people have thrown them into mm-hmm. and, and it's fucked up and i don't want it to turn into a, a jewish versus muslim muslim versus jewish thing because i have very close muslim friends mm-hmm. you know shout out to napoleon mm-hmm. you know shout out to um you know, a, a lot of people who, who I deal with who I have a lot of love for. Um, but yeah, man, it's yeah. sad. I just don't want us to have a,
3: cause I already think America has like a healthy, uh, unhealthy obsession with celebrity. Yeah. And like, we always looking for celebrity to fix the world problems. Like when I when I saw it, I promise you when I, the first time I heard about this, I did not think of Drake or Kylie. <laughs> I, went, I went to people like, scholars and academics, people I know who actually know things about this situation. And I asked them, yo man, you know, what kind of global impact is this going to have? Or, you know, what exactly is happening right now? Right. You know, that, that's the people I want to hear from.
4: Yeah, but but like Charlamagne, like before you were on the radio, you were black.
3: absolutely, And you had
4: to deal, you have a black family and you understand black issues like you know, like you, you could end your, like you could walk out of the breakfast club right now and become a private citizen and never have to do anything, but you'll still be black. You know what I'm saying? So it's like certain things should run deep with you, you know, with everyone. Well, we don't know if they don't though. Like we
3: don't know if, we don't know how Drake or Cali feel about it. We, like what do we want, an Instagram post? A tweet like, Yeah, that's
0: I, true, because we don't know what they're doing. They could be behind yeah, the scenes we don't doing know, stuff, name, or it could be like Floyd's in you know?
3: Name me a more famous Palestinian than Cali.
4: I'm with you, but I don't know how he you know feels about
3: this. I can't say he don't feel anything
4: about this situation because he didn't post it. But, but he's not speaking about it, but he's speaking about his new Jordans. You know what I'm saying? He, he's doing uh sneaker shopping right now. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, Drake is doing this whole, this whole like literally writing paragraphs about Joe Budden because his feelings were hurt over album criticisms. So it's not like they're too busy. They have time to put out things. You know like for example like Andrew Tate uh was disparaging Canadian men. Did mm-hmm. you see that? Mm-mm. Yeah, he was mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, it. yeah, you know you know what I'm talking about." Mm-hmm. He was saying, "Oh, a man from Canada, there's no such thing." Drake's responds. Drake responds. Green light on Andrew Tate. So so when Canada gets insulted, he needs to come up and say something. But when his own community that he grew up with, his mother, his everyone's like that, He's he's remaining silent.
3: You want him to put green light on Hamas? No, oh, I do man. not want him
4: to do that. <laughs> wow. Absolute, absolutely, wow. oh, absolutely not. I'm not going to stand behind that. No, Jesus. But I feel like he should say something. And I mean, I mean, clearly, I mean, Drake knows about I me. Mean, he 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 sees this. Mm-hmm. You know, he he. I'm sure this is on his radar. I'm sure this is on Khaled's radar. I mean, especially now, you know. I mean, the, the tweet has like three million impressions. But yeah, and,
3: and by the way, it's only been what? When did the, when did the answer happen? yesterday?
4: No, I'm talking about when did the the festival happen? When. Couple of days ago,
3: a couple days ago, yeah,
4: yeah. People on the, weekend. on
0: the Weekend, yeah. You
4: well, know? hopefully, hopefully,
3: because people of that power and that you know with that influence, to your point, they can't just randomly jump out there and, and post something. They want to probably take a beat and let's figure out something really powerful to do. Like I heard Floyd Mayweather sending like his jet, private supplies. Yeah, you know that's that's something that takes
4: thought. Like I want to, I don't want to just post like everybody else. I want to come out and actually do something for people. So so Drake took a lot of thought when he was talking about. Joe Budden being broke and flying first class on special occasions. It
3: and took like it took like two days. He
4: has a seven sixty seven jet and like you know what I'm saying. Like people choose to do what they want to do, mm-hmm. and, and and I'm going to stand behind this. These are two very powerful voices, and they have huge fan bases behind them. And right now, we're in a very divisive time where people are taking sides, and which I don't understand, by the way. But but this is this is the reality. People are taking sides and, you know, people are getting canceled and losing their jobs, mm-hmm. and everything else like that over it. Uh, and I'm not saying to say ridiculous, crazy things, but, you know, I, I put out a tweet that basically said, I feel sorry for both, you know, I really feel sorry for both parties and the people that are getting caught up in it, you know, regardless of what my background is. And something like that could be said and put together by, by one of these guys or both of them without getting canceled or ruining their careers. But I think ultimately, and, and in my tweet, I think they're too worried about staying relevant, staying hot, and not getting a certain group of people not supporting them anymore. That's what I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
3: I just don't see what a Drake or Khaled post is going to do to change anything that's going on over there. Talk.
4: Did you see what John Lennon did when he was alive? Mm-hmm. John John Lennon did uh, Leonard uh, Peltier. I think John Lennon did a whole thing where he got behind. It was like this Native American guy who was arrested, or protesting, and there's a whole story behind it. And he did a whole concert behind him and everything else like that. And Leonard Pelletier ended up being freed because at the end of the day, John Lennon was such a huge voice. That's a different yeah. circumstance
3: though. Like that's an actual action. That's somebody who's in prison. I don't know what he was in prison for, but you, you hold a concert, you raise awareness to it. Like I don't see, what, what could Drake and Khaled do to stop Drake, a thousand-year-old Drake, Euro Drake did
4: a Free Larry Hoover concert.
3: That makes more sense. Because that's an actual action. Like, that's something they raise awareness for. Hopefully, Larry Hoover can get free. Like, what could they do to stop a
4: thousand-year-old war? They can't stop. And, you know, and he didn't stop Larry Hoover from still being in prison, right? Mm-hmm. Larry Hoover is still locked up. But he put his voice out there, and he put his support out there. Mm-hmm. And it may make a difference in the long run. You know what I'm saying? Like, like these are powerful voices.
3: You're just saying that they have these platforms you'd like yes. to see I understand what you're saying. I just—I've never seen them do that, so I don't know why they would. And they haven't. About,
4: yeah, and that's—that's that's unfortunate. And this is why I think that as time goes on, and we're talking about many years in the future, people are still talking about Tupac to this day. Absolutely. Because of what he said, because of what he did, and what he stood for. And other people are just going to be pop artists that you know, after they pass away, and their fans eventually start to pass away, their relevance will pass away as mm-hmm. well. They won't live on for. You know, eternity like the iconic people that I mentioned, mm-hmm. like a Tupac or a Bob Marley. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. but they're they're free and to do whatever it is, you know whatever they want to do. I'm just putting out my opinion on it. Mm-hmm. I want to go back for one
0: second because I just thought about something and maybe yeah. you could clear it up. So recently in the news, uh, people are saying that Tupac, uh, excuse me, that Diddy was uh, partly responds responsible for Pac being killed, and he lined mm-hmm. Pac up. Yeah. Now, with all these interviews, have anybody said anything close to that or even
2: Hell near yeah. that?
4: <laughs> okay, so according to Kefi D, mm-hmm. uh, he had a meeting with Puffy, and according to him, Puffy said, oh, "I'll give a million dollars to get rid of Tupac and Shug because they're putting all this pressure on me and everything else like that." This is not my words; these are Kefi's words. Okay, I remember interviewing Greg Kading about it because he he questioned Kefi about this from from Greg Kading's point of view. It didn't sound like, okay, if you do this, I'm gonna give this money to you and here's how we're gonna do it and so forth. It was more of a frustration. It was like two people talking like, man, I can't stand these guys. I'll do anything to get rid of them. You know, according to, according to Greg Kading. Uh, so the shooting happened. According to Keefe, in our interview, he said that Puffy called him and said, was that us? Don't know if it's true or not. Mm. This is a, this is strictly according to Keefe. Now. When you look at, when you go deeper into the story, um, Keefe said that Eric Von Zipp, who was an affiliate, a New York guy who was an affiliate of Puffy, was the one that gave him the gun to do the shooting that night. And according to Keefe, uh, Puffy gave a million dollars to Eric Von Zipp to then hand over to Keefe for the shooting. But... You know, according to 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 the people involved, Eric Von Zip kept the money for himself. Now, did this happen? Did this not happen? I don't know. I interviewed T.K. Kirkland, who was roommates with Eric Von Zip, very close friends. When I asked, "Do you think this is probable?" he said, "Knowing Eric Von Zip, yeah, that's probably what happened." I remember I interviewed Mike Tyson, and he talked about how him and uh, Von Zip essentially. Is Von Zip alive now? No, he's dead. He's dead, okay. Yeah, he died of cancer some years back. This is why we're able to kind of really talk about this. Mm-hmm. Um, Mike Tyson told me a story in our interview how he was hanging out with Von Zip and like uh, Don King came up with a bag of money and Eric Von Zip essentially robbed him for the money. He's like, hey, hold on, let me just hold on to this and kind of pushed Don King out the door and they just kept the money. Dang. So, So Zip has a history of robbing people, mm-hmm. <laughs> essentially. So did this happen? Did this not happen? Did Puffy really pay a million dollars? Did Puffy say that they want him dead? It's hard to say. But 26 years later, with Puffy having the best lawyers the money could buy, with a bunch of hearsay, with convicted felons and so forth, I do not see Puffy getting convicted for any of this stuff.
3: No, that's that's kind of crazy of people to be even putting that out there. Like, Why are, we, why are people wishing that on Puff? You asked him in the, in the I, last you know, I forgot yeah. about that. Like, somebody <laughs> to come back up yesterday. Yeah, I was like, I forgot I even asked Puff that. I don't even know what doc I was referencing when I when I asked him that. Yeah, you asked him that. Yeah. Bravo. And He was like, we don't entertain nonsense. Right, we don't entertain <laughs> nonsense. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. All right, so what, what's what's next for
0: Vlad TV? I see you stepping out of the rain. You're doing more than just interviews. You oh, see you doing uh, cars, automobiles. I see you doing houses. I did, see you doing a, a little bit of everything.
4: Yeah, man, we did a, a car feature on your, part of your car collection. That's right. Um, we did a, a feature on Boosie Estates. Mm-hmm. You know, it's 88 Acre Estate. We actually have a a whole feature we haven't put out yet on LeVar Ball's house. Mm-hmm. And... Um, you know, for, for me, MTV Cribs was a very important show Absolutely. in my life. Because I grew up, you know, as a middle class kid in the Bay Area. I didn't have, you know, access to mansions and everything else like that. And seeing these celebrities in these houses was like, it was so inspirational.
0: Inspiring, me. yeah, me too.
4: And I remember, I just thought about this recently, about how my favorite episode on Cribs was Tommy Lee's house mm. in Calabasas. I remember just watching. I'm like, "Yo, this house is beautiful. The area is beautiful." Fast forward to 2022, I bought a house in Calabasas, not too far from Tommy Lee's house, and I just thought about how that that show, you know, without me thinking about it, influenced me all these years Mm -hmm. to go accomplish, to 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 go get that. And you know, when you look at the Boosie episode at Boosie Estates, like it's such a great episode. I mean, it's gotten like two million views. Boosie bought 88 acres and built like a 30,000 square foot house and built like six other houses. There's like five houses in the back for his kids with streets named after his kids and his, his dead homies, two basketball courts and everything else like that. And what Boosie said- He bought a community. He, he built a whole town around him. And like, you know, you know real estate, obviously. Mm-hmm. When I buy a house, when you bought a house, you probably think about the resale value. Correct. You think I might not live here forever. So make make sure I get the right area. And I could resell it at some later point if I choose to go somewhere else or if I need the money. Mm -hmm. Boosie was just all in. No one's going to buy Boosie's estate because it's so specific to what he did. I've never seen anyone just go all in in their own dreams and for their own family. I love it. I love it. Mm -hmm. I absolutely love it. And and, and it's just like- That's amazing to me. And he even said like, yo, I got out of prison. He had lost his house while he was in prison because he had a mortgage. He lost everything, lost his house, lost his cars. And he said, okay, when I get out, he just bought the land and he was like yo I just built it week by week 20,000 here, 30,000 here uh, you know the main house took a while to build then he built this and he built that and every time he would get show money or whatever else you just put a little something extra on it because there were like crews working on the house mm-hmm. when I was over there and it's just he's like yo if I could do it anyone could do it and like you look at the comments like yo I'm so inspired like so many people are like I'm gonna That's do dope. this. That's That that
0: was actually before you telling me this that was a, a dream of mine that I had uh, I, I, I can never do it but I always thought it would be dope if you can buy your own acres like this and your family lives in your own town. Why can't you do it? Um, I mean, you, you can, but it's expensive in New Jersey, New York. It's, oh yeah, you I, got know, mad, I, got mad, I
3: got mad acres. Yeah. You, no, you got to go down south. But then also, New, yeah. New York and LA—that's hard. Yeah, you got to run your
0: kids in New York. But then also, you don't know if your kids want to live there. But I just—I th- thought it would be dope where you have your own community, where yeah. you know he could put a gate on it, and that gate enters into Boosie's house, his daughter's house, his yes. son's house, his yes. you know sister-in-law's house, his mother. Where you have your own. Yeah. So it's like you have your own community, your own basketball court, your own water. So you yeah. don't have to supply, you don't have to depend on anybody. Yes. And and I just thought that was dope. I always thought that was amazing. Even if I could buy every house on my block, where you know I could go next door to my kids' house, go next door to my daughter's. So yeah. I just thought that would be next across the street to mama house. Like, I just thought that would be dope. So, I commend Boosie for doing that.
4: Oh, yeah, people talk about multi generational wealth, but they don't. Usually, it's just a, a catchphrase. Right. right. Like you're actually seeing him mm-hmm. create multi-generational wealth, this huge property that's gonna be part of Boosie's family. And he has like, I think nine kids or Mm -hmm. something like that. It's like, yo, like he has a big family and he has a place for that family to live. That's dope. And it's amazing. So we're gonna do a lot more house features, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot more house features, just just to inspire people, really.
0: I love it. I love it. Well, we appreciate you for joining us. Vlad tell them how uh, check you out, follow you and all that good stuff.
4: What interview should we be checking out right now? Uh, I got a Leroy Cohen interview that's about to drop. Oh, okay. Yep. Yep. That's going to be a big one. Um, in the interview, actually, uh, I asked him, I said, are you the most powerful person in music? He was like, no, no, definitely not. I'm like, well, you're the global head of YouTube music. YouTube is the biggest music platform on earth. So by default, does that make you the most powerful person in music? He's like, no, no, absolutely not. Mm-hmm. Absolutely not. But, um, yeah, that's a very dope interview. Um, that's coming out. Um, uh, this new phase on love love interview mm-hmm. that's out. Um, I mean, just a, a bunch of stuff in the works. Where? A bunch of stuff in the works. But the Leo Cohen one is sort of a special one that I've been holding on to for a little while. Gotcha.
0: Okay. Well ladies DJ and gentlemen, DJ Vlad. Vlad. Vlad yeah. Vlad TV. And it's the Breakfast Club. Thank
4: in the morning. you, man.
3: Wake that ass up in the morning. The
4: Breakfast Club.